the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain. I'm so tired of talking about that. Whatever. Anyway, today is a very special episode of The Gory Days. You might have noticed the episode title. This is usually a podcast where we talk about uh, movies primarily. Um, I guess it's like not necessarily by my uh, little log line, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite. No, 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 it's definitely, it's definitely movies. But this is a very special one because... I don't know if you were watching, but American Horror Story has a new season. Uh, I don't know when I heard about it. I was definitely late to the party. But yeah, American Horror Story has a new season out. The newest season is uh, subtitled 1984. Let me let me roll back for a second. Welcome to the gory days on this show. My name's Kyle. I'm your host. Uh, let's see, what am I? I'm a horror lover, a self-proclaimed critic of uh, film and specifically horror movies. And I made this little podcast to celebrate everything that I love from uh, the 80s specifically and 90s uh, and beyond to everything today. Uh but today's a very special episode. Like I mentioned, I can't say that enough because I'm talking about American Horror Story, the TV show that's taken FX by storm. If you've been living under a rock on Mars recently, you probably don't know that American Horror Story is an anthology horror show. And what does that mean? An anthology horror show essentially means that the actors play different characters in different seasons. Each season is a self-contained miniseries, uh, if you will. With a beginning, middle, and end that finishes, uh, which I frankly love. Uh, Self-contained things like that that don't stretch on for like 10, 13 seasons. I'm looking at you, Supernatural. And so some of the more successful seasons, as I understand it, were um, Cult, uh, Hotel, uh, some of the less successful ones, um, Freak Show and uh, Apocalypse. Um, Maybe I have those mixed up. Oh, Coven is another good one that I've heard good things about. I am not a long-term fan of American Horror Story. I uh, jumped on the first season, the very, very first season, and that's probably the one that I made it all the way through. I mean, not all the way through. I haven't finished any season of American Horror Story. Um, The furthest I've got was season one. I got through a lot of uh, Freak Show, which I really liked, um, up until they killed my favorite character. Um, But... uh, So I'm not really a a big fan of American Horror Story, but uh, what does that? Why? Why am I talking about this then? Why? What gives me the uh, uh, authority to talk about American Horror Story on my podcast? Well, they had the gall to uh, Ryan Murphy and his team over there had the gall to come up with a new season with a new subtitle, like they do. But this season subtitle is 1984, and I thought to myself, well, that falls right into what uh, I like to do on my podcast, uh, an 80s. 90s and oh my gosh is it a ever a love letter to us the 80s and stuff and I want to jump right into it but uh, before I do I just want to make sure that this is going to be a new segment, a, a new uh, kind of like shorter mini thing that I do the day after uh, these episodes release. So they happen on Wednesday nights. I'm going to record these after I watch the episode. I'm going to 
just give you my thoughts and uh, then I'll post them the next day. So every Thursday I'll be putting these out and every other week I'll still be doing movies uh, with guests or by myself. But this is the new format for uh, people <laughs> for loyal listeners if those exist but without further ado let me just uh get right into my first segment here uh so i want to do segments for this new format but uh i haven't had a chance to write any of those since i just watched the episode and now i'm coming to it uh and hmm, that would have been a good idea to think of before so i'm just going to call these what they are now and maybe they'll stick or maybe i'll think of better names for them but let's start with our first segment which is what the hell just happened Let's talk about what this whole uh, first episode is and what it establishes. First of all, it is basically a retelling of uh, Friday the 13th, and I mean that with a huge grain of salt, and I'll get to all of that in a bit, but it's essentially broken down. Five camp counselors showing up at a uh, camp that allegedly uh, had a string of murders or one big murder or some horrible accident in its past that forced it to close. Now it's reopening to uh, much to the chagrin of local townspeople with a bunch of sexy young teens who are going to take advantage of this opportunity to have sex and do drugs and all kinds of wonderful stuff. But uh, just like in Friday the 13th. Well, anyway, so that's where we start. We start. Start, uh, well, actually, no, we start with the murder of uh, in 1970. So, yeah, we'll just break it down. In 1970, Camp Redwood is the camp that we'll be spending, I imagine, the rest of the season here, uh, experienced a murder. There was a, I, I think he was an employee of the camp, uh, who killed an entire cabin of uh kids and counselors, uh, that were in there. Anyway, the whole room, the, the whole place was killed. Except for one person, but we'll get to that in a sec. The intro for this show, I hope we get to see it like in its entirety for every episode. I hope they don't do that thing where they shorten it as the show goes on. Um, maybe I'll change my tune later, but the intro is so cool. They've like spliced in 80s footage with like blood dripping down on an old CRTV. Uh, and uh, everything looks like it's all filmed in uh, those like old Super 8 cameras. It's, uh, it's really fun. And uh, then we're introduced to our five characters in this amazing aerobics routine. Or I wrote down jazzercise, but I realized I don't know what that is. So uh, they say aerobics a couple of times, so I'll go with that. To a Frank Stallone song, they are, uh, our main characters are Brooke, Xavier, or Xavier as they pronounce it, Montana, Ray, and Chet, and we're going to learn all their reasons for wanting to leave town. We've established that they're from L.A., so it's 1984 in Los Angeles, and that actually uh, is pretty important. They established that it's uh, taking place like in a grounded, uh, real time. They're experiencing the uh, 1984 Olympics. Uh, there's uh, a particular serial killer that's uh, going around LA and is popular at the time that I'll uh, introduce soon. But we learn all of their reasons for wanting to leave uh, LA at the time. And so uh, Xavier, who says he's an actor, has been hearing all about like um, the Night Stalker, who was a real murderer and eventually was convicted of 13, 13 murders in 1989. Uh, Xavier wants to leave town to escape that for the summer. Uh, Ray is uh, interested in leaving to escape the L.A. rush of the 1984 Summer Olympics and all of that. They want to be out of town. He wants to be out of town to avoid that. Chet hates the International Olympics uh, Committee. 
because we kind of get this fleshed out and I'm sure we'll see some more of it, but that uh, I guess he was on a team and he was on track to, to be in the Olympics, but I did not write down for what event or what sport. He just seems to be like an all around athlete, uh, maybe a wrestler or something. Um, just the way he's built or, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, he was supposed to be in the Olympics and he hates the Olympics now because uh, he was kicked out for drugs. They had, he says, allegedly they found 0.001% something in his blood and that uh, disqualified him. But uh, that's his reason for leaving. Uh, Montana's reason just seems to be that she wants to have fun unless I miss something. But Brooke's reason is yet to come. Uh, Brooke get so the night stalker is Richard Ramirez was a real person uh, in Los Angeles, kind of like the Zodiac killer was for the Bay Area or uh, Son of Sam was for God L.A. again. Jeez, poor L.A. <laughs> um, and uh, he apparently was like one of those old school Satanists, not the new Satanists that are all about equality and actually are decent, normal people. He was a crazy person. And I use that term with, once again, grains of salt because they treat crazy people in an 80s way in this movie. But he assaults Brooke. Brooke is in her house and she's looking at a ring that I can only assume has way more importance that we'll find out later with the show. Uh, and she puts it away and she goes to bed. And this guy not that we know he's the night stalker he's just in his apart in her apartment and he robs her he takes the ring and the jewelry and then he says he says something like you'll be famous you'll be killed by the night stalker and then uh thank god her neighbor like hears that and bangs on the door and says the cops are on the way and the night stalker's like i'll find you satan's hand will guide me uh and he leaves and it's just like oh my god uh it it, it if nothing else, it does feel very 80s. Um, and I feel like I'm going to say that uh, phrase a lot. Um, so then our, that's when we cut to all of them are in like the mystery machine, basically, as they're driving down the uh, highway, smoking drugs and just talking about how they're going to live it up all, so, all summer. And then wham, they hit a hitchhiker. A drifter just standing in the road while or walking or running. We don't know. They were they, these teens were being neglectful, as teens are wont to do in '80s horror movies. <laughs> it's already so good. And naturally, just like uh, in uh, what I know, what you did last summer, and uh, I'm sure there's another. I'm sure there's an '80s example, but these teens are not the responsible type, so they just scoop up this uh, drifter, this this uh, hitchhiker, and they continue on their merry way, and that's when they get to the uh, mechanic. And so, if you've seen Cabin in the Woods, uh, it's a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. Um, it's a love letter, and I've, I've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast, but it is a major love letter to 80s movies, just like I imagine this whole season's going to be. And this uh, show, this first episode, falls into a lot of those tropes that they established. Specifically, what I think is called the Harbinger uh, is this guy that's supposed to deliver. It's just part of the horror movies trope is the guy delivers the message of you're going to die. Don't go. Don't you know what you're running into uh, that they don't listen to because they're uh, hubris, uh, uh, you know, haughty teens. Uh, oh, but one thing I forgot to mention is uh, when they're at the gas station, Xavier, for whatever reason, calls his uh, voicemail to check on what, what's going on. And he's got a cryptic, scary voicemail that says something gross, uh, but implies that he's being blackmailed, possibly for being gay. We'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but, um, the other thing that the hitchhiker says, 
before I, I think he says it when he's getting scooped up uh, off of the highway to Brooke is uh, he says I tried so I can't wait to see uh, what happens with that I'll, I'll make a note of that here I'm gonna highlight it right now so that when it pays off in like episode 25 or whatever <laughs> I don't even know how long these seasons usually are anyway the gang continues from the mechanic to Camp Redwood, uh, the same camp from the opening scene from 1970s, but I guess we finally get a name for it. I don't remember if we got the name back in the uh, flashback, but probably not. Uh, and that's where we meet Margaret Booth, chopping wood. She's the owner of the camp, I guess, and she's kind of our proxy to, uh, I forget his name, but in Friday the 13th, the camp counselor, I'm pretty sure, is wearing, like, Daisy Dukes and is also chopping wood, so that's a fun nod. There's a bunch of nods. I'll get to those later. So Margaret gives the counselors a tour of the camp, and we get a great line that Xavier says, just lays it out there. It's 1984, beat. <laughs> um, and they mentioned, like, the... Uh, Flint trials. They they mentioned a bunch of like topical '80s references just right off the bat, just to prove, yeah, yeah, it is 1984. Um, and uh, anyway, we get to eventually meeting the nurse, who is a uh, I want to make sure is a, is a woman. Um, is a, a trans woman. And uh, God, I'm never I'm never going to do that right. But uh, it's it's maybe anachronistic for the time, uh, especially if this is going to be like a children's camp. I'm pretty sure like. God, as awful as it is, uh, I think that was like a no. Not God, I'm thinking like the '50s deviancy, but uh, still, it it uh, it's striking in the in a good way. Uh, this nurse is named Rita, and she's already got like kind of an attitude to her. Uh, we'll see what happens with her. It's gonna be sad when she dies, uh, or turns out to be the murderer or whatever. But uh, she's the one that tells us the story of Mister Jingles. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. The name Mr. Jingles is uh, scary, I suppose, but his story is a, uh, uh, it's fun. Like, I can't tell what's real and what's not yet. A lot of this could be urban legends and just stuff that people have made up. But what we hear from this story is that Mr. Jingles was uh, <laughs> at one point known as Benjamin Richter. He's a veteran, so we can only assume he's from the Vietnam War or the Korean War, but she says that uh, he loved killing so much that he did a second term just for the fun. He, he went back after his term was up. Uh, and one night in 1970, he came to this camp uh, and he killed a whole cabin full of kids and that's why, and counselors, and that's why the, the Camp Redwood was closed. Uh, all 10 of the campers were killed. And that's when Margaret Booth, the owner, comes out and goes, uh, 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 only nine were killed. And they're like, what? She pulls her ear back. And, I mean, she pulls her hair back and she's missing her ear, which is a totally normal and acceptable trait for a person to bear uh, in this day and age. But in the moment and in the context, it is shocking uh, because uh, the Mr. Jingle's MO is not only to kill uh, his victims, obviously, but he also cuts off their ear which i feel like is kind of a loose ed gain leatherface reference of making jewelry with it he oh i just thought about that there's a connection between uh the jewelry in um uh brooks thing that night stalker wanted and the jewelry that 
Mr. Jingles carries around in the form of uh, ears on like a necklace or I guess his own keychain. He's called Mr. Jingles because he's got keys on the side of him. But like they don't he's not a janitor or like a groundskeeper or whatever. So I don't know where he's getting the keys or why he has the keys. I I imagine it's like a a tick of his that he just he's got to have the keys anyway moving right along. It's through this story that Margaret Booth reveals to us in a uh, pretty great, just like laying it out there first episode uh, way as she's opening the camp to take back the horrors uh, that happened from that night because she survived. She survived by God, you're just sheer force of will. She was in that cabin. She explains Margaret uh, Booth explains that she was in the cabin that night. And that's why and that's why she's missing her ear, and that's why she's opened this camp again uh, with, I guess, she. there's kind of a throwaway line of her uh, like late husband, Walter, left a bunch of money to her, and that's how she was able to buy the camp uh, and reopen it to take back the horrors from that night and turn it into something positive, take the darkness and make something bright. But what, other, what else came out of it is she's like a born-again Christian from this experience. We don't really know a lot about her before uh, that horrible night, but afterward, because of a... Man, it's pretty, like, it's great, and also it shows where the the show is stands on faith that she's a born again Christian because she believes she saw Jesus when she was on the brink of death that night. And it's revealed in flashback that she was looking at like just a porch light that she happened to be laying down in her nigh dead state, looking at a porch light. Uh, And that's what she interpreted as Jesus. And like, who's to say it wasn't, I don't know. I don't know. But the show certainly wants to say that. No, no, no. You were just looking at a light. Uh, It's a, it's a weird stance to take. The last thing, we actually learn a lot in that campfire story. The last thing we learn is that Margaret Booth is the one responsible. So not only did she survive that horrific event, she's the one responsible for putting him away. She testified she was the star witness. It only took the jurors an hour to put him away. Uh, So, yeah, and apparently that's where he's been since 1970, uh, rotting away in an insane asylum, we can only assume. So then the teens are uh, hanging out in their cabin, and that's when we meet Trevor, the activities director. And, oh boy, do we meet Trevor. There's a lot of male body objectification in this movie. In the opening aerobics scene, and in this uh, Trevor walking in with with his hog. Oh, man. (laughs) I want to hate the guy, but there's like something still kind of likable about him, because he's not like actively because i've seen i've watched a lot of these 80s movies and there are some pretty awful people uh i'm thinking about heathers i'm thinking about chopping mall but uh this one he's pretty hands-off and he waits until the horniest among them matt uh montana uh starts putting the moves on him and they go out to a lake to skinny dip uh, we never get a good look at either of them, but hey, that's FX for you. And uh, we see like a couple of POV shots. We saw some POV shots when we first met Trevor, uh, when he was just meeting them in the cabin. And then we get a shot of the, there's a car, there's a truck with its headlights on, and then they turn off when they're skinny dipping. But only Montana sees it, because <laughs> once again, uh, I know, I know it's like, yeah, whatever. It's the 80s, and uh, he's a very giving lover. He's very generous, uh, and he's under the water for reasons, uh, and that's why he doesn't see the the car or uh, understand why Montana is uh, wants to get out of the water so quickly. I can only assume—well, I'll get to that uh, later. 
So that's when we uh, get, uh-oh, the insane asylum, like, I don't know where it is. It's got to be somewhere close within driving distance, certainly, uh, which I guess could be miles, but it seems like people get around, the, the sunlight doesn't change, so they get around pretty quickly. Uh, the insane asylum has like a jailbreak. There's an air raid siren and there's uh, God, I hate when they do this. But once again, I, I'm going to chalk it up to the 80s. But that uh, an insane asylum is just full of basically scarers from uh, uh, Halloween Horror Nights or, or not scary farm. They'll just run up to your car and go. And then if you just don't react, uh, they'll they'll be on their way. Uh, but they're mostly harmless. They just kind of wave their arms around. It's 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 a poor representation of uh, mental health and these these uh, institutions and these uh, services. Ideally, don't just herd them like cattle like that and blare an air raid siren, which, which I imagine is kind of triggering to uh, at least a couple of the ones there. But uh, anyway, the reason we. Uh, I don't know if we get her name, but there's a detective or a police officer or somebody. I don't know her title. I don't know who she is. Uh, but she arrives on the scene and she asks, uh, you know, what happened here? And we find out that, uh-oh, Mr. Jingles got out. He did the old, I'm, uh, I hanged myself. He did, oh, sh- <laughs> he did the Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> he hangs himself in his uh, prison cell. And so an orderly uh, comes in and... <laughs> Surprise, he's not actually dead, obviously. He rigged it up so that it looked like he was hanging, but he actually had some extra bedsheet around his chest, so he was fine. And so he chokes the orderly to death, takes his keys, opens up a, <laughs> a you know, purge button. Like, you hit the big... Once again, just like hitting Cabin in the Woods, you hit a couple buttons and all the cells in this uh, asylum open up. Once again, these are very clearly like jail cells. They should be rooms, but they 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 really have the sense of uh, like every room here is it's his own padded cell. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, that's when. That's when we cut back to the mechanic for seemingly no reason, uh, because now that Mr. Jingles is out of the insane asylum, we got to catch up with him. So long story short, he dies. He gets crushed by the car. Um, and it's not clear if uh, Mr. Jingles like stole his clothes, but he definitely stole his truck because we see him arrive at Camp Redwood. And that's like pretty much where uh, his story ends for this episode, which is interesting because he arrives then... But there's definitely some big implications because when everyone else is watching the uh, L.A. Olympics, the uh, torch being carried by uh, Rafer Johnson, uh, they get in kind of an argument, the five counselors, and Ray gets his hand cut when Chet has some roid rage and throws a can at him. And so he goes to clean that up. Brooke goes with him to get some like medicine or bandages. Uh, in the medicine cabin, <laughs> wherever the nurse is, because uh, the nurse says, <laughs> he cu- Ray cuts his hand and Ray's like, uh, nurse, a little help. And she says, I-, I clocked out hours ago. I'm here for the kids. If you need bandages, you know where to find them. It's like, <laughs> she's got so much sass already. But that's when Annie is... Uh, sp- um, Annie. <laughs> she honestly, I kept thinking it was Annie from uh, uh, what is it? Um, Community. Uh, Allison Bree, but it's not. It's Emma. Uh, Emma Roberts, I think, um, who who's uh, first showed up in American Horror Story uh, season. Well, um, Freak Show. 
But uh, now she shows up as Brooke, not Annie. Brooke finds the dead hitchhiker when she's skulking around in the uh, first aid cabin. She finds the dead hitchhiker and he's like pinned to the wall. We saw a little shot of him walking around earlier, but all that matters is that, yeah, we saw him uh, like stabbed up against the wall, uh, the door. And that's what starts this cool chase. I mean, the chase itself is kind of whatever, but, uh, the music. So we hear like something outside and I we're led to believe it's Mr. Jingles, but I have some theories about that. Uh, and so she goes running and she's being pursued through the woods. Uh, and the music that's going on is this 80s synth. Like you'd expect horror, mo- horror movies today always have these like like high strings, these these dissonant strings whenever someone's running around. Or maybe there's just like, it's, it sounds like somebody like threw a bunch of bricks at a piano. Like ding, dong, dong, boom, boom. Uh, but this like has that awesome feel of like... Uh, Man, I'm trying to remember some of my some of, some of the older pod, uh, episodes that we did on this podcast, but uh, those those awesome '80s beats. I gotta look up who did the music on this uh, for my next episode. But she makes it all the way back, and to my surprise, everyone like pretty much believes her when uh, Brooke says, uh, "I was being chased." The Mister Jingles, he's out there. He's right on the other side of that door. And they go all the way back in the pouring rain, mind you. It's pouring rain. They go all the way back to the first aid cabin, and they open the door, and the hitchhiker's gone, and there's no blood, there's nothing, there's no evidence. And then eventually, Margaret Booth shows up, and that's when Brooke is like, uh, "Maybe uh, I didn't hear anything at all. I'm sorry." Uh, and Margaret Brooke says probably my favorite line of this episode. She goes, uh, what happened to you? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Clean yourself up. <laughs> like she didn't even give her a chance if she was concerned. Cause she does. She looks like she's been like pushed around or something in the dirt. But in this moment, I just want to like, uh, take a little aside that when Brooke succumbs to like the pressure of the gang, uh, and Margaret Booth, when she shows up, I'm going to say her name, her full name every time, by the way, so get used to it, is so 80s, just like, and there's a lot of other examples, but from the uh, the shots and the editing, like the way they linger on some shots and the, the switch from handheld to uh, tripod and uh, zoom dollies is so 80s. And I, 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 whoever the... the, the uh, director of photography is i want to make sure that you know your efforts are not being wasted i'm noticing all of it and uh, it's amazing so finally let's get to the right to the end of the episode brooke and everyone's sleeping but there's a payphone ringing outside so brooke tries to wake montana up and she's got a knife montana sleeps with a knife like ready to go i'm sure that's going to come back in some way and it'll save her and get her out of some tough jams but uh finally brooke goes all the way out to the phone ringing and she answers it and we don't hear what's happening on the other end if there's anything happening but what we do see is the night stalker we see these like just on the other side of a tree he's 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 there he found her cut to black and that's it that's that's the episode so uh uh yeah so that does it for the first segment which is what the hell just happened um so for this next segment it is who died So in this episode, there's only four deaths, uh, unless you count all nine people in the cabin in the 1970 murder, in which case there's nine, 10, 11, 12 deaths. So why don't we count those? So yeah, in the opening, nine people, uh, kids, I can only assume, and counselors are killed. Uh, the mechanic is killed later in this uh, episode. The hitchhiker is killed, allegedly, 
uh, his body's gone. Uh, who knows if he's still alive or not? And the orderly that Mr. Jingles strangled to death uh, before stealing his keys and getting out of there. Uh, yeah, so a pretty light, I mean, given nine children or so died, uh, it's kind of a light, uh, who died this week. I'm really loving the, uh, inspiration that they're drawing from past horror movies. I can really feel the inspiration to Friday the 13th and the fact that this is a camp, uh, also surrounding a lake, Camp Crystal Lake in uh, the case of Friday the 13th, Camp Redwood in this case. Um, and also similar circumstances that it was closed a number of years ago because of a major catastrophe, a tragedy, uh, in this case, a murder of nine people, children, uh, and in Friday the 13th, one accidental death. Um, but I'm also loving the uh, mix of, like, uh, Mr. Jingles is kind of more of a Halloween Michael Myers XP in that like he's been incarcerated for a long time and he's got this blood uh, vendetta to get the one that got away. <clears throat> the unfinished kill, the star witness that put him away, the one that put him in this hellhole to begin with. Uh, so those are the main uh, references to uh, classic 80s horror. I've referenced a couple here and there, but I'm looking forward to seeing how they incorporate some more, like maybe Evil Dead or some stuff. The, the things that this show could play with based on past American Horror Story uh, uh, seasons, uh, the mind boggles. But I think the last segment that I'm going to do on here... Oh, uh, well, yeah, I don't know what to call this one. I'm going to call it just... Uh, th- theorize this? <laughs> I, I don't know, but uh, I only have two theories for this one. And uh, my first theory is that the hitchhiker is not dead. Is that the, the hitchhiker, something about what he said, he said, I tried, and that the hitchhiker's body disappeared and there was no blood to speak of at all? Makes me think that the hitchhiker has more to do in this story. Um, yeah, something just doesn't rub me the right way about him being the first death. Uh, well, I mean, there's, uh, nine people that are the first death, but, uh, you know what I mean? I can't say that enough. My, uh, second theory is that Trevor, the athletics director, or the activities director with the, uh, (laughs) the major piece, and Xavier or Xavier have some kind of history together in a romantic sense. Uh, and I say this because of one shot where uh, Montana asks Trevor it, where she's seen him before. And Trevor answers, oh, I teach a something class uh, at um, Marina Del Rey. Maybe you've been there. You look kind of hot. You're, you're pretty hot. Xavier in that moment during that deliver during those lines kind of like flashes him a look and is just like there's jealousy I think in that look but uh we'll see we'll see if Trevor uh swings both ways and if Xavier has a uh past history with him but that brings me to my final uh segment which uh, I'm not going to rate every episode that sounds that seems ridiculous and pointless because I don't have the context of the rest of them. I'll, I'll rate the whole thing when I'm done. So instead, uh, I'm going to, I once again don't have a name for this, but it's just the uh, end status. <laughs> uh, and that is that. Um, so at the end of this episode, Mr. Jingles has arrived at Camp Redwood, 
but so has the Night Stalker. He's arrived at Camp Redwood, and we can only assume both of them are going to race to kill Brooke, uh, if not all the other counselors and Margaret Booth and uh, Chef Birdie, who I forgot to uh, introduce and mention, and the show almost does. Like, I don't know what part she's going to play. She'll die in some way. I'll frankly be disappointed if they subvert my expectations with her and give her some really important backstory uh but uh she's she's a uh, another character uh so jingles has arrived night stalker has arrived the uh, hitchhiker and the mechanic are dead the hitchhiker allegedly the mechanic definitely for sure and the camp is still not open so we get like a little promo thing at the end where oh my god a ton of footage flashes uh flashes by and there's only a few things that i could make out i recorded it on my phone but i haven't bothered to watch it until i mean i I haven't watched it i just i just tried to watch it but it looks like there's um there's a bunch of stuff there's a bunch there's there's uh a shot of what looks like montana and brooke making out there's a shot of uh mr jangle mr jingles (laughs) mr jangles mr bow jangles mr jingles on like a table and there's like bright flashing light in his face and he's screaming uh there's a shot of what definitely looks like the night stalker's dead body washing up next to brooks feet like in the lake uh and there's of course the big shot of uh margaret booth saying the camp will open on time as scheduled or something like that uh yeah and that's the first episode of american horror story season 9 1984 episode one the pilot uh i'm going to be releasing another episode of these every week every thursday the day after so make sure that you watched it too otherwise uh you'll be getting everything spoiled i probably should have said major spoilers uh at the beginning um yeah other than that we're all done here you are free enjoy your uh, morning or afternoon or evening or breakfast or work or whatever you're doing thanks for spending some time here on the gory days talking about american horror story uh next tuesday uh, next week we'll have uh a normal movie for you. But uh, until then, stay scary out there. The Gory Days!